I want to give you a phrase here, and I want you to, in your mind at least, think, what does this mean to me? Here's the phrase, the will of God. The will of God, what does that mean to you? Well, to most of this world, it means nothing. It is meaningless. In fact, before I was a born-again Christian, it really meant nothing to me. And we live in a world that knows little about the will of God, don't we? And cares little about the will of God. And a Bible-believing Christian, however, ought to be daily concerned about, are we in God's will? Is this what God wants? The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12. If I were to ask you, what is the most difficult part of your life as a Christian? I wonder how you would answer. You know, a lot of Christians would testify that it's knowing what God wants them to do. We call that knowing God's will. God's perfect will. It's easy to get confused about what we're supposed to do, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, most of what we are supposed to do is actually written between the pages of this book right here, between the two black covers here. And and other things that aren't perhaps specifically addressed there, there's a principle normally for it. And if there's not really a principle, there is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There is also, I guess, just walking with the Lord and and, and doing it for a long enough time period to where you kind of know how God works, and you can make decisions based on that. But here we find a very, very familiar and famous passage before us in Romans 12. It's the first two verses where the apostle writes, and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'd like to speak briefly today about surrendering to God's perfect will, being surrendered to the perfect will of God. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before thee at this time, and we thank you now for the privilege to know thee and to be led by thee. And Father, how I I believe I'm addressing a, a, a group of people here today that really wants you to lead them. They want to be in your perfect will, and they are willing to surrender to it, whatever it might be. Help us to listen now carefully to these two precious verses as we study them and get help thereby. We ask it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to give you a phrase here, and I want you to, in your mind at least, think, what does this mean to me? Here's the phrase, the will of God. The will of God, what does that mean to you? Well, to most of this world, it means nothing. It is meaningless. In fact, before I was a born-again Christian, it really meant nothing to me. I did not live my life based upon what does God want me to do. I did not pray about what the will of the Lord might be for me. In fact, for nearly 21 years, my life was basically a matter of having fun, getting an education so that I could... uh, 
start a business and make money and, and buy things. I, I got into sports. I got into music. I, I, uh, whatever it might be, that was my little world. And none of it involved the will of God. What does God want in all of this? I didn't pray about where I should live, about any relationship, about any occupation, any vocation. I didn't pray about any of that because it just was not in my thought process, what God wants me to do. I didn't know the meaning of that. And we live in a world that knows little about the will of God, don't we? And cares little about the will of God. And a Bible-believing Christian, however, ought to be daily concerned about Are we in God's will? Is this what God wants? And if you are not concerned about doing what God wants you to do, you really need to question whether you are born-again Christian. At the very least, you're backslidden. Because a a carnal Christian probably forgets to be concerned about the will of God. If you're living a life of your own, it's a carnal life. Uh, I remember a song from my unsaved days. uh, A line of it said, I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Well, on March 5th, 1981, when I called upon the Lord and was born again, it became his life. My life became his life. That is Bible salvation. Now I care what he says. In fact, it means everything to me. There's nothing I want more than to be right in the center of God's perfect will. And I want every decision I make to be the right decision. And by that, I mean what God wants. And, and, and if I could be 100% in God's will all the time, I'd give anything for that. I think you feel the same way if you're a born-again Christian. That would mean everything to you. I think a sign of maturity is a, a Christian who wants always and only what the Father wants. Because what the Father wants is what's best. It's always best, no matter what it is. So you, you, you make your decisions based upon, does God want me to rent this apartment or that apartment or buy this home or uh, uh, live here or attend there or what car should I buy or what uh, classes should I take this quarter? What job should I work or, or what uh, spouse should I marry? And, and you just base everything upon what God wants and only what God wants and you settle for nothing less. And of course, there's, there's smaller daily decisions. They're not always those big decisions. But is knowing the will of God for every Christian? Because sometimes we think, oh, it's just for the, the super spiritual or it's for those in the ministry. No, we find this verse, and I'll just quote it to you over in Ephesians 5. In verse 17, the Bible says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be ye not unwise, but understanding what? The will of the Lord is. And often the reason that it's not a major concern to a lot of Christian people is they're either backslidden and carnal or they are fearful of knowing God's will based upon the fact, boy, I'm not sure I want to do it. Does that question enter into your mind that, well, if, if God shows me his will, then that means I'm accountable for that. I mean, what's it entail? It's kind of like we want the details up front. We're not willing to give God a blank sheet of paper with our name signed at the bottom and, and say, you just fill it in, Lord. But we want to know the conditions and the contingencies beforehand so that we can kind of sit back and go, mm, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. What does it entail? Uh, what do I have to do? And, and, and sometimes we kind of uh, shrink back from wanting to know the will of God because we're not sure if we want to do the will of God. I even know a fella, um, in fact, he's saved now and loves the Lord, but it took him a long time to get saved because he was fearful that God was going to call him to be a, a missionary to some place like Africa. 
And, you know, that might have happened, that might not have happened. In fact, it's a good thing I didn't know about that or think about that the night I got saved because I might have stopped and went, whoa, wait a minute here. I've got to read the fine print here, you know. But let me just say this about the will of God. You don't have to fear the will of God. It's never the same for everybody. In fact, the Bible says that we are unwise if we compare ourselves by ourselves. So don't base your life upon somebody else and say, well, he did this. I think I'll do that. Because that might have been God's perfect will for him, but not for you. And this fellow didn't want to get saved because he knew somebody that had gotten saved and God had called him to the mission field. And so he kept, kept uh, hesitating. Let me just say that God's will for me right now is in Fargo, North Dakota. God's will for a Jeff Lang uh, right now is over in Thailand or a Steve Sabajo or a Robin Myra, it's, it's Africa, or Frank, it's, it's Russia. And uh, for a brother Dennis, it's the oil patch. And it's different for everybody. And, and you say it, it, it may not even be full service, but for you doing what you do, if, if you're a called plumber or a called electrician or a called um, a salesman or whatever it might be, and you're in the will of God, stay there and do what you're doing. That's God's perfect will for your life. Now, let me just say this. God's plan for a particular person at a particular time is what we call the will of God. That's the definition of it. It is God's plan and purpose for a particular person at a particular time when it pertains to a particular decision. And we face those things daily, don't we? Now, these verses here, verse 1 and 2 of of Romans 1, will keep me challenged for the rest of my life. I don't know about you, but there's so much in here, and they ought to challenge every Christian, because Paul writes him to challenge the Christians of his day. And he says, first of all, in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's talking to the brethren. He's talking to saved people. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, I've often said when you see a therefore in the Bible, you ought to see what it's there for. It's there for something that was said previously. So you have to look back and say, what's what's he been talking about up to now? Because he says, based upon that, therefore, brethren, I'm about to make this petition. Well, what he's been talking about for 11 chapters is God's glorious unfolding plan of redemption. How to be saved and grace and the sovereignty of God and all those things we studied when we studied verse by verse and word by word through the book of Romans. And so he gets to chapter 12 here now, and he says, uh, based on the fact that you've been saved and you're grafted in, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. But he has another way of petitioning. He adds this, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. So based upon the fact that God has saved you and based upon the the fact that God is so merciful, I have something to beg you about. God has been merciful to us, and imagine His goodness to save us, to bless us, to forgive us over and over and over again. And I really wonder if if anyone can serve God out of love and zeal without being fully persuaded of God's mercy toward us in salvation. And and what a blessing He's been to us. And and so Paul mentions here, I beseech you based upon that mercy and, and that goodness of God. The psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy... She'll follow us all the days of our life. And I think the greatest motivation for a Christian should not be fear. It should not be justice. It should not be guilt. It should not be uh, condemnation. But Paul said it's the love of Christ that constrains us. 
And if we really realize the love of Christ, boy, we'd serve the Lord with more heart. And so he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, based upon the the basis of God's goodness and God's mercy, the very least we could do is surrender ourselves to the will of God. Paul had said way back yonder in Romans 1 that we're debtors. Remember that? We are debtors. We owe God everything. And Paul saw himself as totally unworthy of God's blessings because he beforehand was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, he was even a murderer. And God saved him. And now in turn, Paul makes this heartfelt appeal, this heartfelt appeal to present ourselves a living sacrifice. He speaks here, first of all, the presentation. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jews would present a lamb to offer up as a, an offering, an atonement for their sins. And they would bring that lamb up. It was a spotless lamb. It was a male. It was a yearling. It was without blemish. And they would give it over to the priest as a presentation um, for a sacrifice. They relinquished a possession there. And, and Paul here is saying, give yourself to God, but not to be offered up as a, a blood offering or a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. Somebody who's going to remain alive and serve the Lord with his life. And we ought to do it, it's the least we can do, by right of creation, the fact he created us, but secondly, he redeemed us. He saved us. So here's many Christians, and they get saved, no question about that, but there are some things they hold back on or they fail to yield on, or as time goes on, they crawl off the altar. They just slip off the altar. And they went, not now. Well, we find here that Paul calls it our reasonable service at the last part of verse number one. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now notice secondly, in verse number two, he goes on because there's a connection here. He says, and be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Let me just back up and say that to know God's perfect will in order to surrender to it is going to require us to not be conformed to this world. Uh, All entangled with the world. Let me just say that we will never know the will of God the way we should or surrender the will of God if we are uh, entangled in the world. If we are hanging with the world and, and... you know, you guys, you go to work and you work around unsaved people and you live around unsaved people and you un- unsaved relatives. I understand all that. But don't make that your crowd, okay? God's people, there's no people like God's people. Make that your crowd. And if you're always feeling more at home with the world than the, the people of God, there might be something wrong with you. And so he says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be involved in worldly activities. And, and don't be filling your, your heart with the information and the philosophy of this world. That's what it means to be conformed to this world. You cannot know the will of God if you're all entangled with the world. There will be no holiness there. He's talking about holiness near. And you'll never, never make a decision if you're not uh, right with God that is pleasing to God. If you're backslidden, if you're not spending time in the book and not spending time in prayer and, and, and conform to the world, the devil will get your spiritual compass all kittywampus. Good rhyme, huh? Uh, and, and, and your Geiger counter will be off. 
And as a result, you'll find yourself making wrong decisions. And I could stand here and give you illustration after story after story after story of Christians I've known over the years that are clean out of God's will as I speak because, well, they were trying to make some spiritual decisions with a broken decision maker. Don't make a decision with a broken decision maker. Get on the, the top side. Don't use worldly reasoning to determine the will of God. Boy, I've seen a lot of Christians do this. We find in verse 2, it says, be not conformed to this world. You know, something can add up to the world and, and not be God's will at all. And that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 1-1, he starts out the glorious psalms by saying, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't take your cue from this world. You say, well, they're doing it and it works for them. Well, Proverbs says, cease my son, to hear the instruction that causeth thee to err from the way of righteousness. Cease from hearing the world's opinions and the world's philosophies and and ask yourself when you get a, a thought, is this worldly logic? Is this just the way the world does it? Is this advice coming from the world? Is this worldly reasoning here? I've gotten a lot of a lot of carnal counseling before. From the world, and you really need to take it with a grain of salt. God help us to be discerning and, and to pray for discernment because we make some industrial size mistakes without that discernment. Now, we're talking about surrendering to the will of God. Surrendering to the will of God. The, the more spiritually in tune you are to the things of God, and the less in tune you are with the world, the better off you'll be. You're in no condition to determine a major life-changing decision if uh, the, the crux of your involvement has been uh, with the world's stuff and the world's magazines and the world's television and the world's internet and who won the Oscar and who won the Academy Award and what's the latest top 40 and, and you're hanging out with the, the lost and, and you have a, a cold heart for the house of God and you're following the world's fads and the world's trends and the world's fashions and you're listening to the world's music and, and you're distant from your church family and you're cold on God's word, and you're cold on God, that's not a good time to make a decision. Not a good time at all. So it says in verse 2, be not conformed to this world. Plain and simple. That word conformed there means molded. Or picture uh, something stamping you and leaving an impression upon you. You know, there are forces out there that are continually molding us and stamping us. And sometimes we don't even realize it's taking place. I can hang around uh, a good preacher friend of mine like uh, Dr. Larry Clayton for a week or so. And by the time he leaves town, man, I'm using his expressions. I'm eating like he eats. I'm, you know, and, and know it or not, he's... He's left a stamp upon me. A good one in this case, and I'm happy for it. But the world is doing the exact same thing in a corruptible way with their entertainment and their music and their education and their philosophy and their billboards and their magazines and, and their tabloids. And it's just stamp, 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 stamp. And we don't even realize it's taken place. We pass through this world and the world screams, look like us and talk like us and dress like us and act like us and think like us and be like us. And pretty soon we don't even realize it, but, but it's all taking place. Meantime, God screams, no, don't, don't be not conformed to this world. In fact, 
John says later on, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How true that is. I don't know about you, I lose my spiritual edge. I, I think it's unavoidable. And I'm not happy when I do. Now, if we're not in the perfect will of God, we're not going to know the most joy. I think the happiest Christian is the one who is in the center of God's will. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so if we're waffling and playing footsie with the world, have a fetish with with Hollywood and everything else, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Unhappy. Unhappy. If you are going to get out of step with the world, if you are going to refuse to march to their drum, if you are going to stay uh, wide of their broad road, expect some criticism. They're not going to be happy with you. If you're not conforming to them, if you're not letting them shape you, they are going to attack you. And you're going to be that legalist, that born-again, fuddy-duddy, fanatical nut, that right-winger, that brainwashed cult person. And because their very presence, your very presence, bugs them. Any desire on your part to be holy is going to be offensive to them. Let me just say, to wickedness, holiness is obnoxious. It works both ways. But oh, how they'd love to see you stumble and, and stutter and falter and fall. I'd love to see that. Listen, to know the will of God is going to require us to be not conformed to this world. The Bible describes perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And in order to be holy, we're going to have to be in God's house, we're going to have to be in God's word, we're going to have to be in God's prayer closet, we're going to have to be in a positive place of fellowship with people who will bring us up and and not down. And let me just say, you'll never be sorry. If you find God's perfect will and surrender to it, you'll never be sorry. Verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what takes place. Now notice it goes on, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let God prove it to you. You will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We often think those are three different things. We treat them that way and, and we act like there's these steps, there's this progression where you can go from uh, acceptable to good, but, but perfect's the best. But really, they're all talking about the will of God here. And the first one is that good will of God. It's agathos in the Greek It means beneficial to us. We profit from it. It doesn't say how we profit from it. It doesn't say when or why or or, or where. But Romans 8.28 does say that all things work together for good to them that love God. It's beneficial. It doesn't say how it's going to work out or where and when, but it's a promise that it will. And so we can know the good or beneficial will of God. But secondly, it mentions acceptable. That's you are estas. And in, in the Greek, it means agreeable. It's agreeable to God. It's agreeable to you. It is something you can agree on. It, it is something you can submit to. You ever, uh, I guess, come face to face with something and you say, God, I don't agree with this? Well, uh, somebody's wires are crossed. There's a, there's a short circuit someplace here. When we say, God, I don't agree with this. Well, it may take time, but let God prove to you. 
It's the best. That's what verse 2 is saying, that you may prove what is that acceptable, that eurestos, that good, that acceptable will of God. And the longer you go through that process and the longer you're saved, the more you, you learn to trust God. He knows what he's doing. I could give you a testimony right now if we had time. But furthermore, let me just say, when something is unacceptable in our eyes, we say this is unacceptable, let me just say that it's not God's mind that needs changing. Somebody's mind needs changing. It's not God's. Whose is it? It's our mind. Our mind needs changing. We should not run from what's difficult. We tend to do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to end up running out of God's perfect will. Oh, I beseech you, surrender. That's what Paul is saying. Surrender. There have been things that have been difficult in the 29 years of pastoring here. But you don't run from those things and you find out, wow, God really knew what he was doing. There must be a surrender, a yielding, a, a saying, it's the Lord. Let him do it as seems best with him. In the book of Acts, we find the Apostle Paul having completed uh, three missionary journeys. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. And along the way, these prophets are showing up. And they're saying, you know, Paul, I, I don't know if I'd go to Jerusalem. Uh, the signal I'm getting from heaven is uh, there's persecution waiting you, maybe even death. And Paul kept saying, I'm, I'm okay with that, if that's what God wants. And it got to where they're begging him, please don't go back there. And, and Paul would not be dissuaded. And finally, somebody says, the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. That's it. That's the key. The will of the Lord be done. You know, we have Christian bookstores and, and other stores and all these self-help books and all these, these advice columnists and all this uh, uh, advice and counsel offered. And, and honestly, folks... When it boils right down to it, the greatest thing, the greatest favor that we could do ourselves, our families, our church, uh, the lost, is just to surrender to the will of God. You know, in the Roman army, the legions would fight with uh, their adversaries. When they would conquer a, 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 a battalion, they would take the leader, the general of that battalion, and they would bring him forth and strip him of his military garment and he would bring his sword forward to the conquering Roman general. And he would lay prostrate on his face. And he'd hold up his sword. The Roman general would put his, his foot on the neck of that man. He would take that sword and he would break it over his knee. But that man coming did not come haughty, proud. He, he, was, he was down on his face. He was humble. He was yielding. He was surrendering. What a picture of how our our, our, our people, as God's people, ought to be surrendering to whatever God wants us to do. Paul said, and we'll read in closing again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's no greater joy, there's no greater life lived than that life lived in the center of God's perfect will. May we, by God's grace, surrender to whatever God wants us to do. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 
3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.